All right, unity in the body. This is what we're covering tonight. If you join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I know we've talked about what's going on in Israel. It's uh, amazing in the worst kind of way. Uh, now the United States is getting involved, at least to some degree. And I don't know about you guys, but uh, the channels that I'm plugged into were beginning to record how many, uh, I don't want to say protests because they're not protests, but I'd probably call them like parades or rallies or marches that were happening all over the country uh, for pro-Palestinian rights, which if you're not familiar with the geography over there, um, Palestine is a phrase that is used to describe a group of people that don't have any affiliation to a country. They call themselves Palestinians, but it's really they're Jordanians that have not been accepted by Jordan because they are extremists. You look at Hamas, and that's exactly what they are. Hezbollah is now involved in this. Uh, but for the longest time, there's been a debate in Israel that God gave, or excuse me, that uh, the Palestinians own this land. But of course, they all have ties back to Abraham, they claim, but God said he was going to give the land to the Jewish people. So you can't really legislate that if you don't believe in God's power. And that's what's going on with a lot of places right now. But in Philadelphia, there was a huge march today, pro-Palestinian, which is to say at this point, pro-Hamas for what has happened. And there was one right down here on 56th and Fowler, which I thought was crazy. Um, but it just kind of shows you how disconnected people are and how easily people are swayed to get behind something. What Dr. Gilbert said today, uh, that God will bless those that bless Israel and curse those that curse Israel, that is still in effect. That has not ended. Uh, our church is very pro-Israel. We are pro-God's uh, people. They are in the land right now in unbelief, but they are still God's people. And there is a remnant. There will be that 144,000 that put their trust in Jesus Christ during the tribulation period. But uh, that doesn't mean that people can't get saved now. But uh, just continue to pray. I don't know how serious this is going to get. I think it's interesting that we're moving naval ships. We have big old C-17 aircrafts over there. Uh, Russia's making some comments. China's making some comments. I say exciting times, uh, not using that phrase in the way we would say, ooh, exciting, but uh, definitely we're, we're close to something here. I don't know what, but I can tell you there are people suffering in Israel, so I want to remind you as you go about the rest of your day today to take time with your family and pray for Israel because there's, there's definitely suffering there. And that kind of leads into what we're talking about today, unity in the body, when in this dispensation, uh, the, when a person trusts in Jesus Christ, we're a part of this new thing called the body of Christ. And very specifically, the Bible says it's not Jew, it's not Gentile, it's not bond or free, it's not male or female. Now that doesn't mean you're genderless now. Uh, what that means is there's something higher than our own selves. Um, sadly, even in Christian circles, there's a lot of division and schism because of this idea of a hierarchy within the body. There are different gifts, and different gifts have different responsibilities, but the instruction to care for one another is given to everybody. And the people that have more power and more responsibility should be demonstrating that care for one another more than anybody else. This is why not, uh, it, it should not be taken lightly when someone is nominated as an elder or even as a deacon or as a pastor. I was talking uh, with uh, Dr. Tom Kakuza this week and we were talking about deacons and elders and one of the things that he pointed out is that the Bible says to find a man who is already demonstrating these things. It's not bad if you're a new church and you're starting out to try and make men fit those qualifications but scripturally speaking, those men should already be doing those things. Now, when you look at the requirements for a deacon, or excuse me, for an elder or for a bishop in the New Testament, you look at those qualifications and you look at men today, even of the Christ, Christian variety, it's hard to find people that fit that description. And you ask yourself, why? How did this happen? When we have the Bible, we have all this technology. I mean, we have apps on our phones that can read us the Bible. At a certain time of the day, you can set a shortcut thing on your iPhone where every day at 12 o'clock it'll read you a portion of the New Testament. We have all this, these things available to us, but why don't we actually have men of that caliber? 
Because no one's a doer anymore. Everyone is a consumer. Everybody wants to find something to consume. We have our prophecy guys. We have our Old Testament guys. We have our New Testament guys. People have their Calvinist teachers. They have their free grace teachers. And everybody wants to fit into this category. But the Bible says we're in one body now. Okay, we should take that seriously and look at what it says about that body. Because this is how we're going to function in the world today and how we're going to thrive during persecution. One of the greatest things that happened to the early church was the killing of Stephen. That opened up the persecution that pushed the church out of Jerusalem and into the world. It wasn't a fun thing. We read about Smyrna in uh, the book of Revelation, the church that was literally crushed. They were destroyed. Their people were slaughtered. But it was like a perfume that rose up, a sweet smell that rose up. Well, that's dark. How, how is that true? Because from their death, it brought out life into the church. People are dying for what they believe. The world thinks if they can kill you, if they can bring you to the point of the fear of death, then you'll recant everything. You'll say, no, 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 not, I don't believe it that intensely. But when people do die for their faith, it speaks volumes about what they believe. All of the apostles, save the apostle John, who they tried to boil alive in a vat of oil, they all died for their faith in gruesome ways. I think of the apostle who was, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he was uh, tied, tied each limb to uh, a horse on each limb and they went their own directions and he was ripped apart. Can you imagine that kind of death? Are we ready to die for our faith in that way? Because the time is coming where that may be what happens. I know for tribulation believers that is certain that they will face judgment and they will die. The Lord says when those in heaven say, during the tribulation period, those tribulation saints who have died, they say, when will we be avenged? And he says, wait your time, because there's many more that have to die. So we know that's coming for believers, but when we think about what the apostles went through for their faith in Jesus Christ, we look at that today and we say, oh, that's inhumane. That would never happen. That happened this weekend. Now, I'm not saying two Christians, um, but there may have been Christians who were martyred this, this weekend. It's, it's a possibility there's hundreds um, that are dead as a result of this invasion from Gaza into southern Israel. What does all this have to do with the body? Well, it has to do with the body because if we're in this thing together, we can encourage one another so that when those dark times come, we don't have to worry about doing this alone. We're doing this for something that we don't really believe in. But that's lost today. I think the closest thing we have to a body as far as Christianity, and I use these air quotes because a lot of Christianity is not Christianity, are denominations, right? I know of people that will go to a church because it's called the United Methodist Church. And recently, the United Methodist Church has come under a great attack, especially during Pride Month that happened, where there was a, there was, it just seemed like this planned and organized attack on all the traditional values in the UMC, and now they began to split. There's churches very close to here that have split as a result of that. But that happened, what, June was three months ago now, four months ago? People are back at the United Methodist Church. Why? Because that's what they think they're supposed to do. This is what I am. Well, I was raised Methodist. You were raised Pentecostal. You were raised Baptist. It's all the same thing. The reason why you have denominations is because they split on a specific doctrine, whatever it may be. And you'd be a wise person to go find out, why did they split? Because Jesus didn't talk about splits. He taught about one body, one baptism, one Lord. So then why do we have all these different denominations? I was talking to a gentleman this weekend who is a part of the third largest, largest Orthodox church in the country. Doesn't have the gospel correct. Why is it the third largest? What about the fourth and fifth? What happened to them? What do they teach? How about the first and second? Why are they the largest ones? People have abandoned biblical truth for preference. And when we look at the fact that we're supposed to be unified in this new body, you shouldn't have any denominations. You should have one body. But you know why you need to have... You, the only way you can have one body is you all agree on everything. You agree on everything. You ever had something in your body disagree with you? <laughs> when's the last time your foot fell asleep and you didn't know until you went to go put your weight on it and it was like nope the pins and needles and you have to wait for your foot to come into an agreement 
to be involved, or you break a bone, or you have some type of invasive disease in your body. You, very quickly, your body can work against your, your mind. And that's a terrible spot to be in. There are people who suffer with disabilities every day of their life. The body doesn't function as it's supposed to be. That's not how the body of Christ is supposed to function. But we have to see what the Scripture says about these things. And that's the point of tonight. We're going to consider what the Scripture says about the construction of the body, how sin brings division into the body, and how we maintain this all together. So we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. And it's interesting, if you, if you take note here, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is all about how the new church is supposed to function, is followed by 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. There's a reason for that. When Paul tells of how the body's supposed to work, the glue, the muscle, the connective tissue that moves the body is love. And he goes through an entire chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 and tells you what love is and what it is not. And you'd be a wise person to memorize those attributes, to avoid the things that are not love and to embrace the things that are. But that's for another study. Verse 12 in 1 Corinthians 12 says this, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. I think it's interesting that there's a distinction made here. It's a lot of people, but it's one entity. There's a lot of moving parts, but it's one identity. And this is how you're going to solve a lot of problems in churches if you get on the same page about the gospel. That's the best place to start. You start there, and then you work your way out. Then there will be, it's a guarantee that even though there's many people in that church, if you're all set on one thing, you will be unified, as you are supposed to be, as God expects. He says, so also is Christ, 13. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Again, the focus is on who you were before faith in Jesus Christ is not to be carried into your new association in the body. Now, does that mean people who carry very serious sin can just be you know, totally written off of that? No, you have to use discernment. There are some things that just bring a schism in the fellowship. However, as far as your nationality, your family, whatever it may be, none of that is limited. None of that is limited. Matter of fact, we can take those barriers away because we all now identify with Christ. What is the reason why we have the confidence we have today of eternal life? Because of you? Because of me? Because of Jesus. He's the one who paid for our sin, died and rose again from the dead. Without him, we don't have any of this. We're just playing games. So it's important to keep him the main focus even after we're saved. I want you to hold your spot here and go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 Verses 11 through 16. Use my bookmark here. The focus here was from verse 13 back there in 1 Corinthians 12 that tells us we're, we're, we're placed in this body by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. Specifically, Paul is writing here about the Gentiles' salvation experience, those who were afar off at, at one time, but now are made nigh by the blood of Christ. This is what he writes about them. Wherefore, remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands. What does he mean by that? This is how the Jews identify the Gentiles. Those are the uncircumcised ones. Those are the heathen ones. We are the ones of the covenant. Okay? He says, this is who you were before, verse 12, that at, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens or foreigners from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
but now, so something has changed. This is who you were. This is who you are now. What's the change in Christ Jesus? You who were sometimes, who sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So because Jesus shed his blood for the sins of all the, for, uh, for everybody in the world, their faith in him, which we saw in verses 8 and 9, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, has brought about unity in this body. They're in this body together. Many members, different backgrounds, they don't understand the covenants. The Gentile, they don't understand the Hebrew way of life, but they're a part of the body. Verse 14, For he, Jesus, is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. The wall that separated Jew and Gentile has been broken down, and more specifically, these, these are congealed together now. They're one body. It's not, oh, they're 60% Jew and 40% Gentile. No, 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 it's 100% the body of Christ. You start adding divisions in here in hierarchy, you get in trouble. You do that which God says not to do. This happens all the time. Having abolished, verse 15, in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, which remember, verse 12 said, they were strangers from covenants of promise. So even the things that they didn't know, they, they now, they, they don't have to know them at all, not to say they can live, you know, in all this sin, but the things about the Jewish faith that the Jews were making them do for salvation, which is all about, which is what Galatians is all about, trying to make the law a requirement for Gentiles. Yes, you believe on Christ, but you also have to be circumcised. You don't have to worry about all that. Why? Because it was all put to death with Jesus. He paid that price. He was perfect. He became that sin for us. Look what it says at the end. Contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain, look up here, Jew, Gentile, twain, one new man, so making peace. Peace with what? Between these two groups. They're all one thing now. And that he might reconcile, remove that which was in the way, that's what that word means, both unto God in one body, by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. This is the church is born in this moment. Look in chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 6. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. That, you, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by what? By preference, by seniority, by I like you more than the other, which is preference. No, by the gospel. Why is it that we now have to fellowship with the Gentiles? Because Christ died for the sins of the world. Well, I don't know the Jewish way. How am I going to fit in? You don't have to fit in. You're grafted in. I've done that for you. You see how easy this is? Why, does it, why is it hard then? Because of me. Because of you. We still have that sin nature. Look at verse 7. Wherefore I, Paul speaking here, was made a minister according to the gift of grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. This is a purpose that Paul has. This is a revelation of this new thing which he wrote about in detail in 1 Corinthians 12. Look in verse 5 of chapter 4. Same book there, Ephesians. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. It's all singular. Many different members. Look how many of us are here tonight. But if you're here tonight and you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, we're all in one body. That's how we're supposed to work here at Calvary Community Church. And when I think of my beloved brothers and sisters in Christ in Northland, Minnesota, which is far, far from here, if they have the same faith in Jesus Christ, they are my distant relatives. They're far away, but we should be doing the same thing. That's why I do this every Sunday. When I'm done preaching here, I think about Pastor Scudder, Pastor Masserino, um, Pastor Kakuza, who are an hour behind, but they're about to do the same thing that I just did. You mean you all preach the same sermons? No, we preach the same gospel. May have a different focus that Sunday, but I know I have great comfort that what's happening over there is good. It's good for the body. I don't even know what they're going to be preaching, 
but I know what they believe about Jesus Christ, and I know their heart. And so when I pray, I pray that the body would flourish as a result of that. It's not a competition. I don't look at Scudder's Church and say, if I only, you know? I don't look at Musserino and say, if I only had. Or Pastor Kakuza and envy what they have because we all have the same thing. We have spiritual blessings in heavenly places. That's how I can get on the phone with pastors that have more experience than I do, more uh, ministry space than I do. And I, I have no jealousy in me because we're all doing the same things. I can say, hey, how you doing? I don't have to be starstruck when I talk to Pastor Scudder. Oh, but he has a TV show. I know, but we're all doing the same thing. I don't want to show preference to one and what, I would look at a younger pastor and say, get on my level, kid. How's that going to help? It's not going to help at all. That kind of treatment comes from envy and coveting and sinful behavior. That's not how the body's supposed to maintain. How is, it, how is it maintained? By walking in the new nature. Now we're going to go to Romans in chapter 6. Romans in chapter 6, verses 3 through 6. Oh, it's so hard to just read a section of Romans 6 because it's all really good. <laughs> and if you back up further, you know, you get to Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. You're like, well, I guess we're just going through all the chapters tonight. <laughs> but there's a great section here that we're going to pull out and observe. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Now, let me ask you a question. Based on 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 2 and 3 and a part of 4, how many people were baptized into his death? Everybody who put their trust in Christ. This is something they experience. But I didn't, I, I didn't feel it. I didn't understand it. Well, the Bible tells you the truth about that situation. It happened. Therefore, as a result of being baptized into his death, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in newness of life. Now, I want to explain this here for a moment, so look up here. There's, there's two of these resurrections, so to speak. you got the new nature, which is a new birth. It's not something that came back from the dead, but it's a new birth. And then you have something that hasn't happened yet, but is guaranteed because of what Jesus did. And what is that? That's our glorification. When we actually get the new body. When I trusted Christ at, at the age of 12, I didn't get a perfect body. Okay? I did not plan for this at 32 going on 33. Did not plan for it. This body is temporary, but I have hope, and you can have great hope too, that upon the day of your death, when you go on to be in glory, you will get a new body. How? What, for, for, for what reason? Because he came back from the dead. But right now, you have a new nature, and you can walk in that new nature, which will be just like your new body. You still have an, an, a, a physical body here. You have a carnal nature. God didn't do anything about those two things, but he did give you a new nature. And that's what he's talking about specifically here in verse 4. Read it again. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we who have believed also should walk in newness of life. Verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. This is coming to destruction. This is going to be gone. Yours too. That henceforth we should not serve sin. Now we still have the capacity to serve sin. Why? Because you have a sinful nature. But you should not choose to do that. By the way, do you see anything familiar here? This is what is said at the baptisms that we do. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk again in newness of life. When I dunk them in that water over there at the hayslips, there's not some magic amoeba that chews away at their sin nature and they come up, you know, sinless. That doesn't happen. There might be something that chews at their feet. That hasn't happened yet. But that's just a picture of what already occurred. Pastor, when did it occur? The moment of belief. There's a great list that one of our professors at Florida Bible College of Tampa put together that details 62 plus things that happen the moment that you believe on Jesus Christ. It's a great study. 
All these things happen, and you think about it. Think about this year, right? What, we're in October, it's been, we're in our 10th month. There's been at least 15 people that have trusted Christ this year. That means in this very room, in pews where you're sitting right now, people have been born into the family of God, and 61 other things happened to them immediately. And all they did was choose to believe on Jesus. We know specifically they were now buried in the baptism of his death, raised to walk again in newness of life. They have a new nature. How many of those people have we seen come back? That is not what is important, although you want that. What you want to understand is they got saved. They experienced what the Bible says you and I have already experienced. So as we walk in the body together, our goal should be let's get people under the sounds of this and let us continue on in that. Look in chapter 8, chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. Also a great chapter, very difficult to pull some verses out of it. But this is important. Talking about maintaining this unity in the body by walking in the new nature. Verse 9 of chapter 8, Romans. So then they that are in the flesh... Oh, excuse me, that's that's verse 8, verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, Calvinists will say, now you've got to check if the Spirit of God is dwelling in you, and they say the, the verification process for that is your works. That's not what the Bible says, though. How do we know the Spirit is in every believer? Because the Bible tells us we received the sealing of the Holy Spirit the moment we believed. You cross-reference Ephesians 1.13 for that. We know from Ephesians 4.30 that you can also grieve the Holy Spirit. So that means you can act like a fool and you're still sealed. What he's saying here is, because you've already believed, you've got the Spirit of God in you, there is nobody in the body of Christ who has not been born again. Because the very requirement to be in the body is to be born again. I know that sounds simple, but that's how the Bible puts it. Calvinists try to put a verification process that says, all right, Lydia, let's just use Lydia as an example. How's your life been? Okay, it has been good? Oh, well, you know, if it's been good, then I guess that's okay. Never mind telling her she has to be perfect because that would be impossible and that would condemn me, the one who's doing the verification. All that comes crumbling down when you compare it to Scripture. But that's how people will use this verse. If the Spirit of God dwell in you. And the only way you know is if you're serving. Faith in Christ alone. Saving faith is faith in Christ alone, but saving faith is never alone. Blah. That's a works-based gospel. That's a very crafty way to say work to be saved. What does he say in verse 10? Or excuse me, the end of verse 9. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit, which comes by faith in Jesus Christ, you're not of his. That's the Matthew 7. Well, this is an application of Matthew 7. I never knew you. Isn't it comforting to know that once Jesus knows you, you're known forever? That's eternal security right there. But anyway, 10, and if Christ be in you, which he is, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, and it does, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. What's the focus here? We looked in Romans 6. That's talking about walking in the new nature. The thing here is walk correctly because one day you'll have that new body because of his resurrection so how do we maintain unity in the body you walk in your spirit and not in your flesh pastor how do i do that i'm very glad you asked here's how you don't do it let's do that first go back to first corinthians first corinthians chapter 12 now we'll look at verses 15 through 18 the title of my point here is sin sin brings division this is how you Avoid unity in the body. This is how you have schism and problems. 1 Corinthians 12, 15 through 18. If the foot, now remember, he just said in 14, for the body is not one member, or excuse me, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Can you imagine waking up and sincerely thinking that your left foot is your right hand? chaos chaos you would not be able to function you go to wipe your face your left foot shoots up what are you doing 
what's the point that he's saying here? If the role that God has given you, which we'll go to that in a minute, is to be fulfilled, that means there's another role that's not for you. Do what you're supposed to do. We tell this to the kids all the time. It's one of the hallmarks of camp. If you don't hear it, you're at the wrong camp. It says, be where where you're supposed to be and do what you're supposed to do. You know how all the problems happen? People are not where they're supposed to be and they're doing what they're not supposed to be doing. You find out a kid sleeps through a meeting. He should be in the meeting. Where is he at? In the cabin, running the air conditioning so that at night the AC freezes up and everybody sweats to death. He wasn't where he was supposed to be or doing what he was supposed to do. This can happen, but I want you to notice here, 15 is, there's preference. I want to be the hand. Well, God has asked you to be the foot. No, I want to be the hand. All right, how's that going to go? The person who's doing the job of the foot gets approached by the person who's job in the hand. I want to do this. I'm better. (laughs) Okay, how's that going to work? You run into a, a, a problem right away. And if the ear, 16, shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, if everybody had one role, right? Just, just one part here. Let's say everybody was a teacher. Who were the hearing? Well, who's going to take care of uh, maintaining the building? Not it. Everybody's a teacher. It doesn't work that way. If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But look at verse 18. But now have God set the members. Ooh, how about we let God do his job and we do our job? Are we trusting a bad manager? How many of you have had a bad manager before? Don't raise your hand if your coworker's with you and they're your manager, right? You're like, no, my, man- my manager's great. <laughs> We've all had leads or supervisors or bosses where it's like, hello, can you... Can you do anything right? I, re- I remember that kind of stuff when I, I worked. Uh, <laughs> I don't have time to tell this story, but it's relevant. I went in for a T-Mobile job down here at One Direct off of Sly and uh, Anderson, and I literally came out with a job for Columbia House DVD, which if any of you know what that is, it's a total ripoff. You know, we're selling like Iron Man 3 DVDs for 20 bucks that you can buy in a $5 bin at Walmart. But I remember the boss that I had was so preferential. He knew I had no value. I mean, he was smart. I am not a cold turkey sales guy. I mean, I'm calling people 6 o'clock at night. Hey, you want to buy $40 worth of DVDs that are 10 years old? No? Okay. Can I convince you anything else of that? You know how I got fired, by the way? That what I just said about the Walmart bin is what I said to a customer because they said it to me. I said, why would I buy that from you? I can just go to Walmart and get in the $5 bin. I said, that sounds like a good idea. And we... We ended the call, and then my manager comes up to me, and he's, he's like, come over here. And this is not, I had been sent home several weeks in a row. You know, days after day, I would just be sent home early because I'm not making any sales. And he'd say, you know, we were recording that call. You, you can't say that. We're, you know, we're, we're going to have to let you go. I was like, don't worry about it. I'll just leave today. He's like, well, you know, we, 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 you, we can let you work the rest of the week. I'm like, you're sending me home the next three days early anyway. Just let me go and, and wallow, you know? <laughs> but I remember going to that job, and I remember that manager, he would just never train me, never help me. I'd ask for help, but he had his buddies that everybody he was with, you know, they just kind of did their own thing. God's not that way. God is going to give you exactly what he knows that you can handle, and all that he expects you to do is obey. That's what he wants you to do. So when you find yourself disobeying God, it's not that he misplaced you, it's that you're not submitting to his authority. Look at 18. But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased the members. (laughs) No, what's it say? Him. I can honestly say there's nothing more that I want to do with this life than to please Him. Because He gave me everything. I'm not who I am today if it's not without the shed blood of Jesus Christ. If God has asked me to do a certain thing, there is no greater thing that I can do than what he has asked me to do. It was not always, I did not always possess that attitude. That took a lot of knucklehead decisions, bonehead things that I would think about myself, about my responsibility, until I just realized, you know, God's got a plan and it's better than mine. And then things started to fall in place. Things looked a lot better because, wow, I'm obeying. This is good. 
It's like the kid that constantly has to be disciplined by his mom and dad. Life is going to be a lot better when you just obey. Especially you got good parents. Praise the Lord for good parents. Amen. It's a hard thing to find today. All right, but let's look uh, specifically now. They're placed by God. We don't have time to look at these two verses. They're small. But write down uh, Romans 12, 3 and Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, which pretty much repeat what we see here in 1 Corinthians 12, 18, that God is the one that's placed these members. Ephesians 4, uh, 11 through 12 is a good one. He gave some apostles, some teachers, some for, for what? For the edifying of the body, working together. That's the goal to build up one another. But these specific sins, they devour the body. First of all, false doctrine devours the body. Look at, hold your spot, 1 Corinthians, go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, 13 through 15. This is another one that is difficult to dive right into because you have to understand the context of the entire book. They were being deceived by um, Judaizers coming in and teaching a different way of salvation. They were believing this different way, and now they were pretty much what's the word I want to use here? They were criticizing one another and devouring one another, and it, it was becoming a major problem to that the body was not functioning as it should. I, would, I think the best way to describe it, it was like a cancer in the body. It was destroying that function. Look in verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. What he's talking about there is, you know, we do not have to follow the ceremonial law, the uh, the, you know, the, the, the circumcision, the feasts, and all that kind of stuff, that, that does not make us more righteous. There are people who possess that knowledge today who think I can be extra doubly spiritual if I observe the Jewish holidays. That doesn't make you extra doubly spiritual. What it does is it makes you preferential of yourself over somebody else. Not to say those things are bad. There's great knowledge in them. We have prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled that we can see in the feasts. But those things don't make you more righteous. Obedience and loving one another and obeying God is what makes you more righteous. You, you walk in that new nature more than your flesh. He says you got this liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion, a preference to the flesh, but by love serve one another. You should mark that phrase, love serve one another. 14, for all the laws fulfilled in one word. You want to fulfill the law in one word? It's not just circumcision. It's not keeping holidays. What's it say? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. We could go through a whole list here. You're not going to kill your neighbor if you love him as yourself. You're not going to have your neighbor's spouse if you love your neighbor. You're not going to bear false witness to your neighbor if you love your neighbor. You see how that solves everything? If you really care for somebody, you're going to treat them right. Hmm, sounds like Paul knew what he was talking about. He did. This is God communicating to us here through Paul. But... If you, and this is the point here about false doctrine uh, causing bondage, if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. We already have enough problems coming from the outside world. What a shame it is when Christians cause harm to themselves. You realize, oh, you know, you got one member in the body that you don't like and you seek to destroy them and you do it. What have you done? You've hurt the body in general. You've destroyed a member of one greater thing. And who gets the glory there? The devil does. He's the one that's behind all that. The next thing that devours the body through a sinful attitude is preference. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3. <coughs> Excuse me. Paul's about to go and he's about to say, you know, some of you were witnessed or led to Christ by all these other people doesn't matter who you were led to Christ by it's that you're in this body now for ye are yet carnal for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions are ye not carnal and walk as men organizations you know all the other they they pat you know one CEO gets voted out another one comes in all these different things happen managers employees change and they're most of the time motivated by greed and the love of money and the love of fame or whatever. That's not how the body of Christ is supposed to work. The preference that they were experiencing was here is, I'm of Apollos. Oh, I was led by Paul. And Paul actually says, I'm glad that I didn't baptize any of you, except for Crispus and Gaius, which are pretty cool names. I've always thought pretty neat. 
Can you imagine meeting someone named Crispus? Anyway. But you, could have, you, you, you can see here, what's his focus? He's like, you are so devoured by who baptized you, who led you to Christ, that you're not seeing that you're baptized into this body to go do something together. We're not supposed to separate. Can you imagine if we had different areas in the church, all the ones led by Dr. Lindstrom sit over here, and all the ones by Dr. Arnold sit over here, and Pastor Martinez over here? What is that? That's, that's preference. That's not how it's supposed to work. Look in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. The next thing that destroys the body is the abuse of power, specifically here of legal power, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 6 through 8. But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbeliever. Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you in this behavior, because you go to law one with another. Why do you rather... Uh, why do ye not rather take the wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, you do wrong and defraud and that your brethren. Not only do you put yourself as the highest thing to be satisfied, you try to bring your brother to destruction in the same way. That's a flesh-eating bacteria. That destroys the body. Look in uh, James chapter 3 in verses 14 through 18. Another thing that destroys the body, which we'll see in this text here, is worldly wisdom. Oh boy, this happens all the time in churches. It usually happens when you have a special meeting and you turn it over for people to share their own thoughts. I don't mean people can't share their own thoughts, but there's always somebody that thinks, you know, they'll sit in the furthest corner and they'll say, man, if I was running this place, I'd have it, I'd have it clicking. These guys will know what they're doing. Then you give them a chance to talk and they destroy. They plant seeds of doubt. They really felt that way. They'd go to the leadership in private and say, hey, have some ideas. How can I help you understand what I'm talking about? And, you know, how can I help accomplish these goals here? But look what it says here in verse 14. James chapter 3, verse 14. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, second time we've heard that phrase, glory not. Don't be... Uh, happy about that and lie not against the truth this wisdom the one that has envying and strife is uh, descendeth not from above but is earthly sensual and devilish for where envying and strife is there is confusion and every evil work boy that is a very important verse if you know there's envying if you know there's strife the bible says these things are present confusion and every evil work. I have seen this happen, thankfully not here, but I've seen it in my HOA meetings. I kid you not. I'll go in there, and by the way, I know why public speaking is very feared, because not many people know how to do it. And somebody will get up, and they're angry about something, and I get it, but the way they communicate it, no one understands what they're talking about. And then they try to clarify it, and then someone else will stand up, and they're frustrated too, so they'll just say something. And I'm just sitting in the back like, boy, I'm glad I have New Testament knowledge. I know that if I want to say anything, usually I come prepared. I know what I want to say and I speak clearly. I was in an HOA meeting just this past week. We're talking about all these things that are going on. And I was asking questions, making the board sweat because they were direct and, you know, to the point. Can you give me this? Can you give me that? And when they started the meeting, the lady next to me said, I nominate him for the board. And I said, no, no, I don't want that. No, no, no. I don't know what's going on with these guys. You stay there. <laughs> but when you speak clearly, when you don't have envying and strife, there's no confusion. There's no, as it says, every evil work. But people get riled up and they seek themselves, but they try to veil it. It comes out. It comes right out. We know your intent. We know where you're coming from. You ever been in those meetings where it's awkward because the person, they're not saying what they really want to say and you're like, oh, they're trying to deceive everybody. Ooh, this is cringe. I hate those. I see those most often, I kid you not, in my board meetings at um, the HOA. Not the board meetings here. You know what's great about the board meetings here? When the guys speak, we say what we want to say. There have been many times where we have discussions that are strenuous. We're trying to work through things. But at the end, there's not, oh, he hates me. He thinks I'm a foolish person. We work through those things together. Why? Because we have a common goal. I, we don't actually move on anything that we all don't have agreement on. If there's one person who has an issue, we will work that out. And then there's times, I learned this from Dr. Arnold, you just table things. All right, we'll, we'll get back to this later. Let's pray about it. We'll come back in two weeks. And when we come back, 
Everybody's of an agreement. And sometimes it's to the opposite decision of what we wanted. But that's because we're not working from this evil, sensual, uh, devilish, worldly wisdom. Then there's a comparison, verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure and then peaceable. Not coming at my board members with the fist saying this is the hand of God and then punch them in the face. That's not what's happening. It's peaceable. It's gentle. Easy to be entreated. Full of mercy and good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. That's a much different way of communication. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. You come in peacefully without any back and, you know, uh, secret intentions. You'll be received well. And the people that don't receive you well, they're probably lifted up in pride. And don't worry about exposing him. They'll expose themselves. Lastly, the lusts of man destroy the body. For whence, uh, looking, it's, it runs right along here. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not. Why? Because you ask amiss, incorrectly, that you may consume it upon your lusts. Isn't it interesting to see that he's talking about believers here? <laughs> this is all proof that we have a sin nature. But sadly, this is how many people treat the body. They all... They, they treat it as their own. I, I got to get gain through here. I got to rise up and take care of what's right for me in this little section in the church. That all brings destruction. Then finally here, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 25 through 27. We've covered how one body with many members, we've covered how sin brings division. And now wrapping up quickly, the way that we have the body thrive, not necessarily being maintained, but how it thrives is by care for one another. Look in verses 25 through 27 of 1 Corinthians 12. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should, care, should, excuse me, should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. And, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. This, gets, this is pretty general, what Paul says here, but it's explained in further detail in Philippians. So look there for just a moment. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. I'm sorry, sometimes I just say the book without telling you the chapter and verse. My apologies. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Well, how do we care for one another? How do we put others before ourselves? Look what it says here. If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy. Whoa, he's real specific here. What could this be? What's it say? That ye be like-minded. Having the same love. Being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. What's vainglory? The glory of self. The, it's, it's empty, hollow, nothing. Who gets the glory in the end? All glory to God and Pastor Martinez at Calvary Community Church for all and ever and ever and ever. No, that's not going to be. Who gets the glory in the end? God does. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. What does it mean to have a lowly mind? You could think of a lot of jokes there, but... <laughs> What does it mean? You're humble. Look at the next description. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then verses 6 through 8 talk about the kenosis of Christ, how he lowered himself from his glory without ever taking off his deity, he became obedient and died for us. You see how Jesus is the model for everything that we're instructed to do in New Testament fellowship? You want a thriving church? It's a church that loves Jesus. First, they know him. Second, they love him. And they demonstrate that love to others. And then right after 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you got 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is love. Go do that. And if you know much about the church in Corinth, 
not a lot of good things going on there. But there is hope for them too. And there's hope for us. Let's go ahead and close our Bibles. I want to share with you the most important news in all the world. If this hand represents you and me, I'll let this block of sin represent sin. <laughs> I don't know when this is going to get old. I hope it never does. But this is, this is something that Gil made. And he's actually made small ones to give it out. Did you give it out to ranch kids? On... Yeah, yeah. So little, you know, card-carrying sin. <laughs> There's a smaller version of it. But we all have this, and it separates us from God. God, he loves us very much, hates the sin. Someone has to pay for this sin. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God forever in a place called hell. The world says that you can work this off by good deeds, going to church, reading your Bible, whatever it may be, whatever work you could think of. People think you can pay for sin with enough of those things. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. Somebody has to die for this. God loves us so much that he would rather die than live without us. And he did this. Excuse me. He, he took care of this for us. This hand represents Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, fully God and fully man. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The moment that you believe all this sin, which is already paid for, this is now removed. Righteousness is put to your account. You have a new birth. You're buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk again in newness of life. See how all this fits together? And you can walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. But the most important thing that comes as a result of this faith in Jesus Christ is salvation, deliverance, justification. We stand before God fully righteous. And we have hope that one day, at the rapture or at our death, we will see him as he is. And that's great hope that nothing else can give you in this world. There's no church body that can do this for you. And what I mean by do this for you, make you right with God. The only person that can do that is Jesus Christ. The payment is already there. Is it applied to your account? The only way it is, is by faith in Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. Isn't that good news? So now that we understand that, we walk in that. We're in this body together. I pray this has been a blessing to you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heads are bound, please, and eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. If you're here tonight and that made sense to you, maybe you're thinking, you know, well, I thought I had to do good works to go to heaven. I thought I had to, you know, just be a, generally be a good person. But I understand now there's nothing I could do to ever achieve perfection. And the best I know how, I, I'm putting my trust in Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, that he, as the Son of God, died for my sins and rose again. If you trusted in Jesus for the first time tonight, I, I'd like to pray for you. Would you slip your hand up and let me know? Raising your hand doesn't save you. It just lets me know, and I'd like to pray for you. Heads are bowed, knives are still closed. This teaching about unity in the body is very important. I pray that you'll take it to heart and search the Scriptures. And then what you find, I pray that you are obedient to do those things. Father, thank you for the study of your word. Thank you for all that you have given us. We pray for your soon return, and we lift up your people in Israel. In Jesus' name we pray these things.